Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. My name is Beko and my partner, Hari. Hello. Uh, in this episode, we will continue our discussion with Signet Jewel, Jewelers. I have, I have a hard time pronouncing that word, Jewel, Jewelers. It is a little <laughs> tricky. Uh, so in this episode, part two, we'll cover the second half of our checklist. Um, and again, as I mentioned in the previous episode, this, this company came to our attention through one of our viewers. So if you'd like us to review the companies that you have in mind, perhaps with the downturn that you're seeing now in the stock market, you find a few companies that was on your checklist, is on your checklist, and you want us to kind of discuss our opinions about these companies, please send it to us at info at valueinvestor.org. And if you'd like to go through our podcast with the checklist, uh, also email us at info at valueinvestor.org for the checklist. And lastly, Slack channel, if you guys want to be part of that, also email us to the same email address, info at valueinvestor.org. All right, Hari, give us a disclaimer and let's get started. Yeah, so this is the Value Investor TV podcast. We are a podcast that helps you understand the concepts behind value investing. We don't know your specific financial situation, nor do we um, know anything about you, really. So... Uh, <laughs> So p- please uh, um, <laughs> consult with a financial advisor before making uh, any financial decisions. Uh, and um, if you want to uh, have us get to know you better, then you know, get with us on Slack. Uh, send Be- Becco an email, and uh, then we can we can change part of that uh, disclaimer. So <laughs> perfect. All right, let's get started with uh, Signet Jewelers. Jewelers? Jewelers. Jewelers, yep. Uh, okay. Ticker is SIG for those of you following along at home. Perfect. So we are halfway point in our checklist. Uh, and then the next question in the queue is, is the company able to translate its moat into higher returns on capital? So I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because um, this is one of the few companies that actually talks about return on capital employed. Um, and their, their, you know, their numbers were actually quite good for a a long time. And then in 2019, they kind of dipped quite a bit. Um, and part of that was, so for those of you who don't know, return on capital employed is not looking at, you know, you, you actually take out assets that are not being used like goodwill. And then you measure, you know, and they were consistently above the, the 20% margin, right? So if you were to look at this business and say, wow, they're doing really well that doesn't protect you from a moat standpoint, right? You would need to do the, you would look at the number and say there's a nice 20% number that's really high. But what that doesn't give you is the, um, it doesn't protect the moat, right? And that's that's the number that you have to be really careful about um, is the return on capital employed doesn't protect you from just because it's high doesn't mean it's going to sustain that level for a long period of time. And so, you know, they in 2019 kind of saw a big dip in that because their profitability just took a huge hit because, you know, they were adjusting their business, writing off things, things like that. Um, But, you know, it was consistently above 19% for 2015 to 2018 and it was 6.7 in 2019. Um, So, you know, things have, aren't nearly as good as they are. And I, you know, I, I'm curious how 
this path to brilliance and cleaning out some of the the dead wood in the company and shutting down their you know their stores that are not doing as well what that'll look like and again i'm i'm recording this before the 2020 annual report has come out and we're still in the middle of the coronavirus so you know the pandemic is kind of clouding a lot of things as we look at this right so i want to make it clear to everyone I am not comfortable making an investment decision on this business without seeing that annual report. And I'll tell you why in a little bit, but um, I, I need to know more, right? I, in other circumstances, I may be thinking more clearly about this, um, but leverage is going to be a big part of their their story as we'll talk about. And now with coronavirus, you know they're going to have to tap into capital markets, and that will change the the balance sheet. So I need to have a clear picture of that before I make any decision. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll leave. Just it want to harp on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Harp. No, and I said I'll leave it at that for now, and we'll discuss it more when we get to leverage and stuff. Okay, perfect. Just want to harp on one thing that you pointed out earlier, which is that there is a qualitative assessment of the company. Right. One of the big ones that we talk about is the return on capital. Um, you know, you, ha- you can you can measure it on various different uh, formulas. One of them here we talked about return on capital employed, but there's a few others. But then more important, uh, the more important part is qualitative assessments. Is kind of what we di- what we discussed in the previous episode, right? All of the things that we talked about in terms of competitive advantage, those just don't surface to the to the to the top. By looking at the numbers, so you have to actually go and crack open a 10K and actually understand the business yourself to be able to answer that question. So that's why first part of the checklist is always, always more qualitative side of the business. Um, so I just wanted to harp, harp on that point there once again. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Let's go to the second, uh, the second big bucket, which is the financials. So first question of that bucket. Does the company have enough cash to maintain its business? So this this question and a few that's that's in the queue are really going, really trying to address the point of the balance sheet. Does it look, you know, does it look healthy? Does the balance sheet look healthy relative to the cash flow that it's generating um, and the immediate cash needs? So take us through that here in this question, Hari. Yeah. So this is where things get go off the rails, right? And at the end of this, I haven't even decided if I want to talk about evaluation, but, um, you know, I, I was sitting down to set up for the podcast. I went to look for uh, something on, on the company and they had just published um, that they are going to, they drew down 900 million off of their revolving credit facility um, so that they have 1.2 billion in cash and another 300 million or so available uh, on that credit facility. Um, so what that what does that mean? Well, they they're trying to pull in liquidity to help either cover expenses. You know, they've closed a lot of their stores. They're trying to you know uh, see how things are going, and I think they're defensively taking a lot of cash in. So this is a very very seasonal business. They make most of their revenue and most of their profit in the fourth quarter. Right. And I, I haven't seen the fourth quarter for uh, 2020 because they haven't given us uh, the audited financial statements yet. So this makes a lot of things in flux, right? So do they have enough cash? I think so. I mean, they drew this down, almost tapped it out. 
um, with the intent to use that money, right? And so they had a fairly good uh, holiday season, um, which kind of gave the stock a boost. Um, but I am still very, very unclear, right, on where the financial picture is. Right? There's a lot of uncertainty because of coronavirus, but there's also a lot of uncertainty when their balance sheet, even when things were going well. Um, you know, they were highly leveraged and and that kind of stuff. So what I would say is right now, they have enough cash. They drew down that debt. The co- concern I have is not that the cash, it's more of what does that debt look like? What does the picture look like? Yeah, which leads us nicely into the second question, uh, which is, does the company maintain reasonable debt level? Yeah, so that that is that is kind of the million dollar question here. So their leverage ratio in 2015. So they they use this metric, which you know you all know how much I don't like EBITDA. Um, so they they have an, uh, a leverage ratio called EBITDAR, which is the the uh, long term debt, which they measure um, using a. Uh, just give me one second. Um, you know, they are trying to keep this leverage ratio below a certain uh, threshold. And that, that is measured by um, the long-term debt plus convertible preferred shares plus an operating an adjustment for operating leases, which is five times the annual rent expense. So at the time that this was written, or the 2019, they had about $700 million in long-term debt. Now they've added $1.2 billion onto it. And there may, be, may have been other numbers that were added into this, right? So this EBITDAR number that they were trying to keep below 3.5 is now well above 3.5, right? And that they even make a comment that they, they are uncomfortable with it being too high. They expected it to be above that in 2020. It was 4.3 in 2019. It was going to be better in 2020, but still above the 3.5 target. Um, and as you and I, you know, we've talked about Becco and I like to see them to be able to pay off their debt with three years of free cash, right? And since I don't have a clear picture of this, of their free cash and other things that I know I'm going into the next question, right? There's a lot of uncertainty here, right? And, you know, the answer is that you don't have to make an investment decision based on everything. Like if you're uncomfortable because there's too many unknowns that should be answered, um, then wait, right? And I, I think their annual report will be out fairly soon, and then you can have a better, clearer picture of what's going on. Um, but because they're levering up, I don't know how much of this money is going to be used to f- to fund operational gaps and how much of it is actually solving real problems, right? They drew down this credit facility, and it may be to, to shore up the loss of revenue that they are going to face because of coronavirus shutdown. Right. So what does all of this mean? Right. I, you know, I've, I've said a lot of words and I, I'm trying to put, put all of this together in a coherent argument. I would say that, um, and I know this is kind of a cop-out answer is I need to see more information from the financial statements and get an understanding of maybe what that first quarter looks like with coronavirus there. Now, the risk that I face when doing that is I remove some of the uncertainty that is lowering the stock price, right? The The stock price has come down since 2016. I think it's come down like 
right? It was $150 a share. It's now trading at like $7 a share. Um, you know, with the revenue roughly being flat, um, to give you an idea. Uh, so, um, and they've, they've done all of the, you know, this is all part of the turnaround plan and they think that they're going to make things work. And then coronavirus hit. Um, so where does all of this lead us? I think we need to keep going down the checklist and see if we can, if we have to exit or if we can, you know, continue down the path. Okay, great. The next question is can the company generate a strong amount of free cash flow from operations? What's yeah. your thought on this? So they've, in 2019, they generated about 700 million, um, I'm sorry, uh, 560 million of free cash flow. And that number has fluctuated because of, um, you know, seasonal things and variability uh, and so on. Um, and when you look at their 2020 guidance, again, I have not seen the, the 2020 numbers. They have what's a, considered an adjusted gap number, which they, you know, would kind of resemble that. Um, you know, the numbers that we are looking at uh, with regard to that are around you know, are going to be around the same, probably a little bit less um, in the free cash flow market. And so that free cash flow number, if you if you are looking at their lease obligations, is not enough, right? They, they're, not, they're now, when they've added this $1.2 billion in debt, they have about $2 billion in long-term debt, and then they, they have an additional operating lease expenses that are on top of this. So, you know, of about 1.7 billion. So there, there's quite a bit of debt here. Um, and, you know, they're slowly getting rid of some of their, their store locations. They're cleaning up the expenses. But then coronavirus hit. And now, you know, a lot of the revenue that they were going to be generating here to that would let, let them limp along is getting wiped out. And I don't know how much of the money that's being borrowed is going to be there to just shore up operations, Right. And I don't know, you know, we haven't, we don't have a clear picture about what the government um, stimulus package is going to look like other than Fed has essentially said to, you know, offer uh, bond buying at an unlimited amount, which is, you know, terrifying as a, you know, when you think about it. Um, so I, I look at all of this stuff and I'm still wondering where does this lead us, right? In, in terms of, I don't know what this company is unlikely to be a target of a bailout in a in the coronavirus situation. They would not be, you know, a critical part of the you know the infrastructure like an airline or something like that. So, yeah, they would benefit probably from like payroll tax cuts or something like that. But who knows what that'll look like yet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if any, if any, I I, I suspect also that they're not going to be recipient of any of that benefit you know, that's, that's what I suspect as well. I, I do have a question regarding, you know, you mentioned that you want to see the, 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 the fourth quarter number, right? You want to see, you want to see the, 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 the 10K that's about to come out before you make any further judgment on this company. But from the sounds of it all, it is kind of everything that we've asked here is kind of, it is kind of pointing south it's it's not anything i don't see anything compelling at this point so from that perspective what what would make it 
let's say you open the 10k the new 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 10k in a couple weeks from now when they release it what would make it compelling to you to further question and further inquire on the company because everything that i'm hearing now suggests that we should probably just drop this at this point yeah so <clears throat> i want to see stability from the balance sheet so that i know that um this thing can recover you know that they wouldn't get wiped out and that my equity wouldn't get wiped out because honestly the the price is very compelling right we haven't talked about the valuation yet um but this is a business that was profitable um the profitability is declining so you worry about the the falling knife scenario um but when you looked at their 2020 financial release right they their sales were actually slightly up um you know their operating income was actually better than expected they had a diluted earnings per share the non-gap diluted earnings per share of around three dollars and sixty cents um which was better than expected um you know their tax their capital expenditures were down a little bit um and they've they shut down some stores that are telling me that they're controlling costs a little bit well um So what I really want to see is the free cash flow number. I want to see that in the context of the debt that they now have, um, with the with the this one point two billion dollar, I'm sorry, the nine hundred million dollars that they've drawn down, and with those three things, I think I can have a better understanding of. I am I am really looking at, is there any more downside risk, right? I'm not worried about upside. I should never really be worried about the upside, right? I should only worry about the downside risk, which is what will wipe this business off the face of the planet, right? And, you know, and debt is always what will do that. And so, you know, we have to take that into a context of how long will the coronavirus thing affect us? You know, how much will they um, be affected by these changes? Remember, you know, keeping in mind that most of their sales are coming in December, so is it really going to harm them if they lose a bunch of sales now? Their costs are relatively fixed. If this were happening in December, it would be devastating to them. But if it's happening now, it's not going to affect them as much, right? So those are the like three or four things that I really want to get a better picture of. And this is evolving every day. So it's kind of, you got to kind of take everything with it. And maybe it, that means that I have to wait till the first quarter comes out, which is not going to be that much further from now, um, after the annual report is published in end of March, early April. Um, their first quarter numbers will be out like a month later. So yeah. Okay, great. Let's jump on to the next set of questions about management. So the first question of that is: Is management properly incentivized to protect shareholders' interest? Over its own. Yeah, so uh, what I would say is that um, I don't really pay attention right now to that. And the reason I haven't paid attention to it is this is not a long-term hold, right? This is a business that is a cigar butt. And so what I really care about is price, value, and um, likelihood of downside failure, right? So in a normal Do, situation... Uh could you, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Cigar Butt, could you explain that concept really quick? Yeah. So the idea that, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if Warren Buffett coined this term. I believe he did. But 
Um, the idea is that you find a cigar on the ground and it's got really one good puff left in it. And so what you're looking for in this business is you pick it up, you take that one last puff and then you throw it away. Right. And so the idea is that this isn't a great business, but because of just the wiggles of the market, it'll spike up, you dump it and then you're done with it and you move on to the next one. Right. And that's actually how Warren Buffett did his early career was he wasn't buying great businesses at a fair price. He was buying terrible businesses at a fantastic price. And, you know, Signet Jewelers is not a terrible business, but um, right now the price is very compelling, right? If you if you think about it at $7 a share, and they roughly had about $3.60 of earnings, right? So that's a PE of like around two. Um so that makes that that part of it is probably what drew a lot of people to look at this. So now we need to understand in the context of are, are they going to have any earnings in 2020? Is it all going to be wiped out or 2021 I should say fiscal year 2021? And are they going to have earnings beyond that? And are they going to be able to pay off their debt? Right? Those are the kind of things that I want to look at um, when I look at this. Yeah. Great. Um so Next question is also about management. Has management handled excess capital in a shareholder-friendly way? Are share buybacks and dividend payments appropriately timed based on current price per share relative to value? What, yeah. are, you, what, are, what are your thoughts on this? So this is one of those things where they spent a lot of money doing share buybacks and reduced their share count significantly in 2015, 16, 17, 18. And that was kind of what drew me to them, right? But they were spending money on an expensive share buyback, right? They were generating like $9, $10 in earnings per share. That number is now declined by more than half, even though they've reduced their share count by 30%. <clears throat> in addition, the company is paying a dividend of 37 cents per share quarterly dividend, which is a very high yield given their current price. Um, you know, you, you, you'll get a, um, what, like a dollar, uh, 50 per share, um, you know, for, for the dividend. I am concerned about, you know, and they're, they may be paying the dividend as a sign of strength that, oh, we think we'll be okay. Why are you borrowing money to do that? Right. I would rather that you paid off the debt or conserved your cash. Don't take on the debt. So I kind of question this. I am I, I, but again, I'm going to say I want to look at the numbers before I, I say that, right? Because the entire market cap for this business is $400 million. They have $1.2 billion in cash, right? And then they have the debt that is, you know, at this point is around $2 billion, right? But the debt is not going to be coming due, you know, some a lot of it is due in 2024, so I want to really see where this all plays out. And maybe they're being just super defensive with this cash. They've pulled it down. They, you know, they, they can pay it back pretty easily, you know, if they don't need it. Right. And so that's, that's where I'm kind of trying to figure out is why did they draw the 900 million down? Was it really as more of a defensive play because they're worried about liquidity later? If the business declines further, they may not be able to draw that money down. That's, that's what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just one, one comment on the, the share buybacks. I think this has been a, as with the coronavirus, I think the share buyback has kind of surfaced as a hot topic. 
right? Yep. A lot of uh, a lot of big airlines would take on debt to buy back shares, and then therefore incentivize uh, incentivize shareholders, but also executives who are doing these buybacks. What what we are championing, what Hari and I are championing, is buybacks, doing buybacks at appropriate time, appropriate time based on the current price per share relative to the value. So what we are not for is doing doing share buybacks blanketly. What we are for, however, is smart buybacks in cases where the value of the price, value of the share price, is below the intrinsic value. What they what they think is intrinsic value. When it's cheap, go buy them. Right. It's just right. simple capital allocation strategy. It should it should be the same mindset as. You and uh, you and me as a as a as a uh, shareholder and, and investor, so that's what we are championing. We're not championing for, and we do not endorse excessive buybacks at a very high rate, at a very high price, um, and we 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 do not endorse uh, that in, in in any way. I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, and I I think the funny thing is if they had spent all that money and held it, right. And waited till the the you know coronavirus, you know they didn't know that the coronavirus was coming, but a downturn came and they had all this cash. Then their their business is a lot safer, right? <clears throat> just because you have money doesn't mean you need to spend it, and just because you have cash available doesn't mean you need to do a buyback, right? It should be timed based on when your stock is cheap, and when your stock is cheap, you should be buying back aggressively, right? And what we saw is their moat kind of eroded, you know, whatever was there. Stock price dropped precipitously. And then they didn't have the cash available on hand to now they could buy back 90% of the stock and, you know, um, and, and you know, be very comfortably um, protected in this environment, right? So this is, this is a good example of, and this is not the current CEO, this is the previous regime, um, it's not a good capital allocation strategy is all I'll say. Yeah. Great. Uh, this last question about management is management open and honest. Any thoughts on this? Any red flags? Uh, nothing that I can see, you know, it's hard to judge because I have one annual report with the new management. So, um, you know, they seem to be doing a good job, but hard to say. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the next set of questions about valuation. So let's get into this. Is there a significant margin of safety from your calculation, Ari? So yeah, so that's that's where I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, run away, kind of is I don't have a good answer yet because I wanna see the the, the financial statements. And I, I I'm I'm saying this over and over again because I want people to understand that it is okay to wait, right? You don't have to make a decision, you don't have to take if you're not comfortable with the the information that you're you're with and you know that information is coming down the pipe wait until that information is available right if this were a no brainer you know that what what one thing that kind of makes you realize when you when you do this long enough is generally when a you are it makes you sick to your stomach to want to purchase a stock then it's probably a good value right is that man this is a complete dumpster, you know, fire, that may be actually be the best indication that this is cheap, right? Is that this is a stock that generated $3.70 in earnings. They're cleaning things up. 
but I, I, I really would not be looking at this as a long-term hold. You know, this could go, this could double, and then that would be the max that you get out of it, right? And then you dump it and you're done with it, you know, because they have just one good quarter, things look good, and then you just get out of the, the business. Yeah. And as Hari mentioned, that's how Warren Buffett got started. I mean, it is not a bad, it is not a bad strategy. In fact, it is a good strategy. And in times like this, if you can pick up a few cigar butts here and there, it could really add, you know, it could really do magic wonders to your portfolio, I, I imagine. One thing I do want to emphasize is that early on when I started investing, um, this concept really stuck with me that, you know, you read books like 100 Baggers and Outsiders, you see these success stories of companies that are, you know, that are 100xing the valuation over the, you know, over the past eight years or nine years or so. If you do that couple times, that really is all it takes, right? If you yeah. make those two decisions, that's really all it takes. So you don't need to spray and pray. You don't need to hold, you know, 20 basket of stocks. It's just if you do your research and and be really diligent and patient, you just need to make two right decisions and you hunt you 100x once and then 100x again. And that's all it takes really. So I want to emphasize that also in a time that we're in now with this chaos that is coronavirus, there are you know stock prices dropping significantly and catching our attentions and things like that. And I think this is a good time to be in the market. But I think what I also want to emphasize is that you just need to make one really solid decision, one or two solid decisions. That's all it takes. I just wanted to reiterate that. Yep. kind of the key ethos to value investing, um, I would say. All right. Uh, do you have anything to anything else to add here, Hari, under valuation question or generally speaking? No, and I, I, I'm not trying to be, to not take a stand on this. I, I am genuinely curious because I do think that there is a compelling valuation here if we can get a clear answer, Right. And you may not get a fully clear answer, but you can get more information than you have. And the way I see it right now, you know, this stock, you know, after they made the announcement today of drawing down their credit facility, they've dropped 25% in aftermarket, you know, after hours trading. And they pulled their guidance for 2021 um, because, you know, there's so much uncertainty. A lot of companies have done that. So there's nothing unique about them in that regard. But, you know, I, I think it is going to be interesting because if we are indeed headed for a big recession, which a lot of people say we are, you know, this is the kind of business that people typically will, you know, they, they're not going to frequent a jewelry store when they can't pay rent, right? Um, so this is definitely a luxury item that maybe um, hurt the most. And, you know, we've had a very good economy for the last three or four years. Now we're suddenly hitting the skids really fast, as we've seen. Um, I'm curious how this, you know, this first quarter looks. It may be really, really ugly, and you may be able to find a good deal, you know, with with that ugliness. So, um, great. Thanks for uh, thanks for that summary, Hari. All right, guys. Um, again, if you like to gain a copy of our checklist as we go through these companies, please email us at info at 
as again for Slack channel, do email us the same address info at valueinvest.org. And lastly, Signature Jewels. God, I still Jew- have a hard time. Jewelers. <laughs> Jewelers. Jewelers. Um, if you guys would like us to review one of your companies that you have in your short list, we would love to do that. So send us an email at info at valueinvestor.org. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in um, and stay safe out there. Uh, coronavirus is still around, so stay safe. And uh, I hope you guys uh, hope you see you in the Slack channel and also in the next episode. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you.